Hi, I'm Mike Seidel, CTO here at Pivot CX, and today on Pivot to First, I'm joined uh, as usual by David Bernstein, our VP of All Things Revenue and Partnerships. And today's special guest is Brian Fink. He is a talent associate at McAfee, and he's the author of uh, what I think is, is a book I can't wait to read uh, in tech, Talk to Me, The Non-Technical Guide to Technology Recruiting. And uh, I, I love learning anything I can about technology recruiting because at Pivot, my role, uh, I, I end up hiring most of the engineering talent. So I'm always game to learn more. And, and so I, I think I want to start with a question for you, Brian, that's really, uh, really gets to the heart of it. Do you need to be a technology recruiter to do a great job and get great tech talent? Absolutely not. I think that, first off, I think that every member of an organization is a recruiter is that they are responsible for your go-to recruiting message or go, like I'm riffing on go-to-market um, <laughs> strategies for your go-to recruiting um, strategies. What you're gonna find is you are culture ambassadors. You talk about the values that your organization holds and every conversation that you have with somebody who is unbeknownst to you, maybe a candidate, unbeknownst to you, maybe a referral, maybe beknownst to you that they are in fact the ideal candidate that you're looking for. So no, I don't think you have to have a technical background or be a technical recruiter to recruit technical talent. So what are the things that when you when you look at tech talent, what are the things that, you know, if I'm trying to hire a software engineer, what are the things that does that software engineer really care about when I reach out to them as a recruiter? What are the things they're looking for from me? So I don't want to give a generic answer because I think that's the problem with recruiting today is that we're focusing on generalities and creating these generic messages that when we reach out to individuals and we're just kind of hoping that somebody comes back to us. So Mike, what I think we have to do is I think we have to personalize the process. And I think that's actually, you know, not, not, to, get, not to get pitchy or what have you, but I think that's one of the great things that you guys do is that you make it available to recruiters for them to have a great recruiting experience so they can imbue talent with a great personalized candidate experience, right? And so I think that it comes down to knowing who your candidate is. Is your candidate a Java developer that loves Game of Thrones? If so, there are a lot of Java developers that love Game of Thrones. Or are they a are they uh, kind of new to the arena or new to the field? Are they somebody who's looking at this saying, geez, if I join Pivot, I can take on, I can build my career and I can create some collateral that I can show to my next employer? or I can solve some really unique problems. Um, this is an opportunity where you need to learn how to read the room and see what the room is talking about rather than what you want to talk about. You want to make it about them. If you, uh, There's a great quote from the book Primary Colors where Hillary Clinton's character says to her husband, when we make it about us, we lose. When we make it about them, we win. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of the character's name right now, but I think we all know who the book was based on. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a true that's that's true in sales. That's true in recruiting. Um, when you make it about you, it's always better than when it's about us. <laughs> and, well, and, well, well, you're you're right. And maybe to shout out one of my recruiting peers, Amy Miller, who's at at, at Amazon. Um, is that when she recruits talent, she says that she tunes into the radio station WIIFM, What's In It For Me Radio, right? And when we do that, when we have that kind of conversation with the candidate, it doesn't matter if we're a tech recruiter, it doesn't matter if we're an accounting and finance recruiter, 
what it matters is is that we're having a genuine conversation where we bring authenticity to the fold because we're focused on what that individual wants to do next, not on what they've done in the past, but what they want to accomplish in their next role, their next benchmark, if you will. So, Brian, what inspired the book then? What led you to kind of... What, what is, okay, so, yeah. so... Why so, now? Yeah. What's why, why now? Um, yeah. Okay, so first off, I, I did start the book. I had a few false starts with the book. I had a few false positives um, over, over the past year or so, right? And then uh, what, what happened is I was having a conversation with about 10 people all at once. David has seen me do this. He's like, yeah, you want to do this and you want to talk to that person, whatever. So I'm having a conversation with 10 people and they said, Brian, how do you keep all the technology straight? And I said, I don't. I was like, I only know what I know. I, if I don't know it, I go and I research it, right? So the only thing that I wrote about in the book is all the roles that I've ever recruited for. There are only like 12 roles that I talk about, back-end engineers, DevOps engineers, site reliability engineers, data scientists, architects, uh, even a technical writer because I recruited for technical writers, right? But the reality of it is, is that I only talked about what I knew so I could talk to my audience and help fill in the gaps. David, as you know, Mike, as you're aware, I run, an, uh, if you will, uh, Brian's recruiting school or Brian's th recruiter therapy session on Friday afternoons. Um, I'm really blessed that I that I get to take like from four to six p.m. Eastern, and I just have conversations with recruiters. Mm -hmm. And what kept coming up was, I don't have this knowledge. How am I going to get this knowledge, Brian? How do I do a, a debrief? How do I make sure that I have the table stakes laid out so I can be successful? And David, it was from those conversations, it was from that big conversation that I had at TA Week in San Diego that I said, okay, I, I know what I need to write about. I'm going to write about the 12 roles that I know better than anybody else. I'm going to put that into context. I'm going to talk about the software development life cycle. I'm going to throw a little bit of bullion in there. And I'm, gonna, and I'm just going to talk tech like, you know, my, my mother is, my mother says to me, Brian, I don't understand your master's thesis. Mm -hmm. either one of them right so I, I wrote a simple version for my mom this book my mother told me it was like I was talking to her and that's what I wanted to get out of it is I didn't want it to be high level I wanted this thing to get granular get in the weeds and at the same time give you the weed eater so you could brush those weeds out and scoop those rocks and get them the hell out of here so you know I, I was sharing the other day um you know, you can go to school and get a marketing degree. You can go to school and get a finance degree. But who goes to school to get a recruiting degree, right? We, we fall into recruiting, right? We, uh, and then some of us become lifers and stay, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, so you learn a lot as you go. And so there's, yeah, so it sounds like there's an audience that's like all these folks who just like land this position and suddenly they are tasked with having to kind of bring top talent in the door that's critical to the business, right? It's not just uh, fun and games, right? There's so it's stake, right? So David, it is table stakes for the business, but it's also about the candidate. And I think that's something that we have to keep front and center is that we have to have that authentic conversation with the candidate about who they are, what's important to them, and how this organization that they're going to be joining, how it can get them where they want to go. I always compare wait. us to a vehicle. Yeah, wait, wait a minute. So, so you're saying it's not all about tech skills and do you know this? Do you know that? You know what frameworks do you know? It, it's about like, uh, like, like 
the candidate being a real person and like having goals and things they want to do in life. And, and yeah, yeah, I, I'm I not, mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not here to turn people into widgets, right? So, Mike, you know, you you laugh about that in, in a, in you know, and but there's a lot of truth to that. Is there are a lot of recruiters that are transactional and they focus yes. on how they can get the butt in the seat. They don't, they don't think about what is the person going to do once they're in the seat. One of the questions that I ask every hiring manager that I work with, and yes, by trade I'm a tech recruiter, but I'll let you know that I've worked on accounting and finance, I've worked on marketing, I've worked on sales. The question that I always ask is, hey man, or hey, or, or, hey you, or usually it's hey dude, but David knows that, right? Is I'm like, hey dude, what is the problem you're trying to solve here? Because if you, Mike, don't know as the hiring manager what kind of problem you're trying to solve, you're wasting everybody's time. If I know what problem you're trying to solve, I can go out there and I can find out, is it a widget salesman? Is it a widget builder? Is it a widget marketer? I can go down all these patterns and I can find out what's important to them. Is this gonna be something that's gonna satiate that need for a challenge, their meaning, their purpose, their Viktor Frankl moment, if you will? Hmm. That's where I'm going. So it sounds a little bit to me like uh, some of this might, might really be all about figuring out, hey, this this candidate we've got here, there's being qualified, yeah. But then there's this other part: are they going to like being at the? Are they going to like being here? And, and more importantly, uh, are they going to stay? Uh, that, that's a that's a great question, right? And and I think that you I think that you look at candidates depending upon where they are in their career life cycle, very much like you look at software where it is in the software development life cycle, right? Is this yep. a is this an individual who wants to come here and you know they're I, I use Java a lot I, I recruit for a lot of Java engineers in my past lives um, now I'm doing a lot of .NET and C so if you're a developer and you're listening I'm looking for you um, but the <laughs> but the reality of it is is that um, when we're having these conversations and we're having a conversation with somebody who is a good engineer not a great engineer a good engineer is it worth taking a risk on them to get them from good to great versus spending all this machinations, all these dollars to get somebody who's truly great, who's just there for the paycheck and doesn't give two shits about the product or the problem you're trying to solve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think all of us have hired that person before, and uh, it's always the outcome's always kind of sad because the. the and the quality of the work just relates to hey, are we giving them enough RSUs? Are we giving them enough cash? And and uh, they they don't ever feel invested or act like they're invested in the team or in the product, and uh, it shows in their work. So Brian, is it kind of like a job versus a career? Kind of trying to pitch it one way or the other? Is that is that framework goofy or what? What do you think? Um, so I don't know that it's goofy. I just like I I look at things as tours of duty instead of a job, right? There was a book that was written in like 2014, it's called The Alliance, it's by Reid Hoffman, um, and and it talks about how he built LinkedIn, and how they were looking for people that would be transformative and do tours of duty in the organization. Now look, I don't care whether you love or hate LinkedIn, you gotta respect the fact that they have been an innovative company, um, and it's the world's talent marketplace, right? Um, what what happens is individuals sign up, if you will, to do one job for 18 to 24 months. And in that 18 to 24 months, that is going to be critical in their career 
it's going to be critical to the organization and it's going to be critical to the mission that they're trying to solve in the organization. If they choose to stay on and do another tour of duty for another 18 to 24 months in the organization, that means the organization found another problem that this individual could fix. I am an outlier that I, you know, I know that people leave organizations because they have poor management. I think people leave organizations not just because of poor management. I think they leave organizations because the leadership could not point them towards their next problem and share value or create value to have in that organization. I know it's a, I know it's a little revolutionary, but you know, this is the same guy who doesn't think that HR and TA are kissing cousins. I think that we belong more in the sales group and, and whatever. So um, it just a little bit, little bit of a different spin. So David, no, I don't think it's goofy. I just think of things like in that tour duty mindset, that's kind of been where my head's been at for the past nine to 10 years. Yeah, not all organizations though think that way, but at least as a recruiter, as you're saying, how do you kind of do that, you know, WIIFM moment, right? Well, kind of, you, you know, know you're, you're gonna find, you're going to find candidates that are transactional, that they just want to come to the organization, they want to make $200,000, and they want to be there two years. Um, but it's like Mike said, is that person worth the $200,000? Are they putting their hands in, or are they putting their hands out? And there's a big difference. You get in, you get out of every opportunity what you put into it. If all you're trying to do is extract value from an opportunity, oh man, you are going about it the wrong way. I mean... You know, it doesn't matter if it's your fraternity. It doesn't matter if it's your house of worship. It doesn't matter what community you're affiliated with. If you're not putting in the, if you're not putting in, you are whatever you're pulling out is is dust. Yeah, yeah I'll put my uh, I'll put my engineering management hat on here. And uh, uh oh, I, yeah. Well, it, it's really what you said, Brian, is really true. When you when you're hiring people that are really mercenaries, the the problem is that they're mercenaries, and and ultimately they they're they're not going to go the extra mile. You know, sure, they may be able to do things really quickly and, and uh, close a lot of tickets quickly, get a lot of things built quickly, uh, but at the end of the day, um, they're, a lot of times they end up doing the minimum that you need or they just follow the requirements exactly, knock the stuff out, go home at 5, go home at 6. Meanwhile, you've got this other person over there that maybe isn't as fast of a developer, but they're seeing these little problems and little wrinkles and really taking the extra time to document those or to go solve them. And it's, it's amazing the difference um, when, when you value that. Well, Mike, I mean, you talk about it with software developers and closing those tickets, right? Closing yeah. those tickets never created a next generation of salesperson, marketer, nurse, doctor, uh, uh, engineer, uh, it, no. it never, it never created, it never created a next generation. It didn't plant seeds, and I think maybe one of the things that we're also looking for is somebody who is going to plant those seeds. It's going to work with those junior engineers. Going to work with those junior salespeople to help bring them up, right? Yeah, I, I, I honestly love it when I get somebody that starts off closes tickets for a while and then they start actually making things they actually start looking at things and going hey i can do more than just that we need to add this to the product hey let's let's do that and um, you end up uh, some of the best features in our software has come from those kind of moments where we've had somebody go way beyond um, just i'm going to close the ticket if they had done that um, you know okay great the bug's fixed Instead, it turned into uh, you know an entire new feature uh, in the product, and, and uh, 
you know, I'll pick on, uh, we added video to our product a while back. So we, we did start off, we did text, then we added phone calls, and then one day we're looking at that and going, you know what, if we take this one step further, we could just add video interviewing to Pivot. And uh, that developer did it was uh, a very junior developer who uh, actually came up with the solution to get that into our product in about two days. And it all came from just a willing to do some extra and put a few extra hours in and uh, talk to the customers and go, hey, if we put this in there, how would you use it? And uh, it was fantastic. But I, I love it when we see that. But I think finding people that are willing to do that starts when you hire them. So it goes all the way back to what you're talking about, like how do you hire great, how do you find great tech talent, and then uh, what's important when you're you're trying to hire them, right? So I think that finding them and hiring them are two different arguments. I think that we've got the opportunity to go out to GitHub and and type in site colon GitHub.com space resume space Java space Cupertino and pull up all the resume. So if you're listening, I just gave you a search yeah. string to find out Java engineers. Um, but the but the reality of it is is that I think we can find them. I think that where we're at is that we're at a different era of recruiting. It's not just finding the candidates. It's finding out what is fundamentally important to them and using that as motivation to put them onto the hiring ramp. Well, Brian, that implies something really important, and I think David can jump in on this. Uh, it requires that you actually be able to communicate with that candidate. You actually be able to engage with them and, and talk. And oh, we see an great. awful lot yeah. of recruiting that is yelling in an empty room. Well, David, let me ask you that. How you've seen a lot, and you know, we've when we first met and had you know our conversation about the, the future of recruiting, right? Like where things were headed. How do you? How do you how do you make sure that people like me don't add to the noise but create signal and 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 rise above it and speak to and have that conversation? You know, I um I've never met a recruiter in my life who didn't want to try to build relationships and get to know people. Um, the the way the work environment is structured it tends to be a forcing function to get them to be hyper-focused on the here and now, and relationships and nurturing is a very different activity, certainly interrelated, but so different, right? And trying to find the balance between trying to, you know, meet, grow, nurture, get to know people, right? Like what makes people tick, so you, right? That, that is a piece of recruiting, but, does, but we tend to get so caught up in the firefighting of the day, and that's why I think that trying to find the right way to leverage some of these newer technologies that unencumber recruiters from some of this real busy work that sinks them down into, you know, the the, the minutia that that inhibits their ability to to really get to know the, those people, right? Um, I think you're really interesting on paper. I'd like to really get to know you. This might be a really interesting opportunity, right? It, it's that that's hard. That takes time, right? It does take time, and uh, you know, you talk about technology. You know, I. I'm one of these people that I think, and, and the big big buzzword is large language models and Chat GPT, yeah. and and what I, and if we don't talk about it, then we didn't really we didn't really solve any problems in the future, right? Yeah. Um, the you know I look at it and I say we've been using artificial intelligence or what they're calling artificial intelligence and large language models for a really long time to be better recruiters. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's just now. 
There are more recruiters that are out of work than ever before. There is this new technology that is highly disruptive and these waves are crashing upon the beach at the same time and it's a very rocky beach, right? As we talk about, as we talk about something like chat GPT, um, I would ask the question, when, when was the last time that you used it? Because it doesn't really sound human, right? But using it as a research tool, maybe to understand what you're recruiting for, like full disclosure, I was having to recruit on SALT, S-A-L-T. I didn't know what the hell SALT was. Yes, I think that it's something that I put on my, my eggs in the morning. Um, SALT is state, state and local tax. And it is the sales tax or, or the local taxation policies. I was working on a, I mean, I, I work on more than tech. Is um, mm -hmm. I was working on this senior tax accountant role, and so I went to ChatGPT and I asked ChatGPT, "Hey, what is salt and what does it have to do with accounting?" Right? If I went to Google and I typed in "what is salt and what does that have to do with accounting," the first thing I got was half a page of ads about pink salt, about Morton salt, about kosher salt. I don't need any of that salt. I need accountants, okay? So the reality of it is, is that ChatGPT told me, SALT is an acronym for this, this is what it stands for, this is how you can prepare to find individuals that have this experience, and no, they don't have to be CPAs. I was able to take that information back to the hiring manager, and I was able to say, okay, Mr. Hiring Manager, I've read your job description, I now know what SALT is, um, tell me, on a scale of one to 10, how important is this attribute? And he was like, I, I didn't even think about that. And here he was the entire time. He was worried that he was going to be recruited, having a tech recruiter work on an accounting role. And, <laughs> and I use chat GPT to understand the job description. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Chat, chat GPT, where it's been marvelous, has been almost faster, more digestible delivery of knowledge right when you need it. It's been fantastic for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I fed it the job description and said, what does this person do? And it mm -hmm. told me what this person does. It, it wasn't a very complex prompt. I mean, uh, if you yeah. want to get into complex prompts, you should have Mike Wooford, and I'm showing the book. I don't know if we're on audio and video, um, but if you're if you're viewing this as a video, uh, the AI recruiter. It is advanced GPT powered prompts, and Mike Wooford wrote an excellent book. Um, it is uh, about 400 pages long, um, roughly roughly 160 pages shorter than my book. Um, but, but who's, who's measuring size here, guys? Right. Who, who, who's doing that? Yeah. But, but like, you know, I understand that there are implications for writing job descriptions uh, at McAfee. We are not using chat GPT for, for those, types, uh, those types of things. We're not really using chat GPT at all because we've got security concerns about where this data is going to be held, right? And it's a security company we tend to think about security a lot, right? And so, you know, I would also put that out there as a flag to people is to say, one, where is the data that you're putting into this large language model going? And two, this information that's being spit out to you, how accurate is it? Is it a chat GPT hallucination? <laughs> Mike, you like that? Okay, fine. Mike, that I is love how it. this is going to... This is how this I love is going to be titled. It's going to be like, 
Brian Fink riffs on hallucinations. Um, I can I can see that when my mother Googles. Me. No, I, I love I love that you bring that up because one of the things we run into is how come we get asked all the time how come you haven't just hooked Chat GPT up and let it do all the chatting with all the candidates and it's like well have you ever seen what happens when Chat GPT has a little hallucination about salary and promises somebody they'll make three hundred twenty thousand dollars a year for a job that pays uh, eighteen an hour. That's it's a, a scary thing. It's a scary reality. It's a and, rea and, 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 yeah. That's a re it's reality. If, if, if so, if we've got a product out there that's spewing that kind of stuff to candidates and creating legal liabilities for our customers, that's a that's a big problem. And one of the things we see with GPT and and a lot of the large language model stuff right now, accuracy is a big problem. And there are places in recruiting where you have to have this hundred percent accuracy. Like, hey, what's this job pay? Well, you can't mislead somebody there. Um, doesn't work in the end. Um, All right. So about inaccuracies in Chat GPT, I learned this from my friend Shelly Shelly Stackroll. Is if okay. you type into Chat GPT, how many E's are in between in the word between? How many, David? What's your guess? How many? How many there are there? How many E's are there in the word between? I got two. I got two. The answer it gave me was there two E's in the word between. Not, not three. Not three. That's a hallucination. We we all know that there are the only vowel in the word is the letter E, and there are three of them, right? So, hat tip right. to Shally. Shally used that as a parlor trick when we were talking about AI the other night at dinner. Um, you know, I I think that there. I think that maybe there are some people who are too quick to adopt this and they're not taking into consideration the security manifests that have to be checked, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, uh, there are a lot of different tools that make their way through one iteration and are, are checked, the box is checked, if you will, when it comes to uh, InfoSec signing off on it. Mm -hmm. um, there are some people that are importing chat GPT and we're not able, you're not able to turn on that feature or we're not able to turn on that feature because of our security concerns. Um, and then there are other tools that are using their own large language model that is contained within their database. There are a lot of ways to slice it. I think it's going to make us a better, better as a, as a pr proficient, um, uh, profession. Um, because like David said, there's not a, nobody goes to recruiter school, right? Like there's not a big barrier to getting into this. But Mike, to that part about chat GPT though, about hallucinations, I'd go back to something I said earlier, is that recruiters have to be curious. So it doesn't matter if you're a tech recruiter looking for technical talent or you're a tech recruiter looking for accounting and finance talent. Um, if you're curious, then chat GPT has a role in your tool belt. So I like what you're saying, Brian, and, and um, I'll also go back to one of the things I think I heard you say, so keep me honest here, but um, about where, what the role then of leveraging the technology, specifically if we talk about AI and in, in enabling that recruiter to be better at what they do so that they can build those kind of relationships, right? And, and who on the planet, other than that, what was that movie? Was it Her? What was that movie where... where I didn't see Her, but I saw Max, uh, right. Ex Machina. Right, but yeah, who, who really would feel like they can fall in love and, and, and have a relationship with a machine, right? 
I mean, this is where the fundamentals uh, of recruiting, you know, and under, if you understand that, and it's a people-centric activity, and if you really understand what makes people tick, and back to building relationships, right? How do we leverage these tools and these technologies to kind of be better at doing that, right? Faster and, and smarter, quicker, being able to kind of, but yeah, trying to take over and, and automate, no, well, right? Well, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna date myself here. Okay, mm-hmm. is that back when we used to get resumes via the fax machine? Oh. One of the coolest things that came out was this service on Career Builder and Monster. And I don't know who had it first, but I know they both had it. And when it happened, it was mind blowing. And it was that you would get candidates in your inbox that matched your job description every morning. And it did it based on keywords. Mm -hmm. Mike, you're the technologist here. David and I are just here to to be arm candy for you. What, was that machine learning? Was that a decision tree? Was that a large language model? We're going back 20 years ago. No, but the thing that's awesome, you go back, and this is something I, I always tell people about this industry that people don't really know. Uh, recruiting in HR tech, recruiting in HR, are very much early adopters of technology. And, and a lot of people go, oh, no, that's marketing over there and all of that. I've never seen an industry where people are so quick to jump on new things and try them. So when you go back and look at this industry, uh, when Monster and Career Builder came out with that, the, one of the forerunners to our large language model stuff was the search engine. And a lot of the same uh, a lot of the same math, a lot of the same exact math that's being done with transformers and LLMs is being done in a search engine. Um, it, it's still doing predictive analytics and going, okay, how do I take these keywords, stem those out, and then you know, get the right result for, uh, for what you're searching for. There's a lot more going on in a modern search engine than people know. And when you go back to those, even those old tools, it was pretty remarkable how advanced they were for their age. No, nothing like today's AI, but I think a lot of what people confuse with our AI we have today, um, like when I was looking, I was actually looking at how do we apply AI to search, and some of the most successful implementations of an AI-driven search is where the, the chat GPT is literally writing the query that the search engine ingests and re- replies on. It's really so, backwards, but you, would, you wouldn't even think that. So, so about that is that um, I was having a conversation with Heather Colvin the other day. Hey, Heather, Heather, shout out to Heather. Is that we were having a conversation about ChatGPT's ability to write Boolean strings. Mm-hmm. And what I found really weird is that it puts every single word in quotation marks. And <laughs> um, I, I don't know why it's doing that other than the fact that, like, if I say that I'm looking for a cloud engineer... Mm-hmm. in Topeka, Kansas, I don't need, I need cloud engineer. That phrase, those two words, put in quotes together, I don't need cloud quotes and engineer quotes and um, Topeka quotes and Kansas quotes all separated. I need them, I need some togetherness, right? And ChatGPT is not building those strings correctly. It, it hasn't yeah. learned yet. No, it hasn't been trained on the right the right uh, data set for that. But there are other large language models that have been, and are, are, we're starting to see uh, particularly. Search engineering has a soft. I have a soft spot in my heart for it because I spent a lot of time building job boards and career websites and that kind of thing. Those are big search apps. 
Um, there are some AIs out there and, and LLMs that are really being built to help write better, uh, better Boolean queries, better, better queries that you could feed into the search engine, get better results back. Um, and, and I think the big innovation with the large language models isn't going to be anything other than it's an easier way for people to interact with, uh, with uh, you know, if you take a tool that, that has, a, a, you know, 400 million profiles in it, um, if I give a recruiter a better way to search that, that lets them find what they want faster, that's a win. And the LLMs have the promise to do that. But we, we still have a ways to go for, for ChatGPT to be better at writing a Boolean search than the average uh, sourcer or recruiter can. So actually, you touch on something that, that I would love to see in a ChatGPT or a large language model. I want yeah. to go back to the cloud engineer in Topeka um, Kansas uh, reference is that I would love it if I put in write me a string for a cloud engineer in Topeka Kansas and it came back to me and said hey Brian is this a Windows engineer is this a Google cloud engineer or is this an AWS engineer and had and then said said okay now I'm gonna write you a string that's going to include GCP uh, GCP cloud engineer, not AWS in Topeka, Kansas, right? Like a string of, of that nature. That would be artificial intelligence to me. Well, that would be actually intelligent. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. So, so. <laughs> and then, right. And then be a better friend to the recruiter to help them do their job better. Right. So that they can then right. build those really. Right. Brian, I think, I, you know, what's going to be wild over the next two years is going to be you know, people are starting to take these kind of problems and, and work on them and go, how do we take this AI and make it better at this particular niche? And as we start seeing all these niche models that get trained, I think you're going to see a lot of things emerge that, that uh, hopefully will make life better for recruiters. There's one thing I haven't seen a large language model do, and, and, and this is something I really wanted to ask you, and it's really timely. Um, I haven't seen a large language model be able to actually build a relationship with somebody the way that uh, the way that a good recruiter can. Have you? So I always wonder when I am on the chat with Apple. Okay, so real quick, I'm an Apple fanboy. For those of you who are watching this, you know that I'm wearing the AirPod Max. For those of you who are listening to this, you know I'm talking to you through an AirPod Max. All right, so the um, the reality of it is, is like when you go on the chatbot to uh, to ask Apple about products, is it? I don't know if it's a person or if it's the chatbot because it'll like if you call the if you call the hotline, it goes, "Hey, I'm thinking, okay, about your request, right? Do you want a MacBook Air 15 inch?" And I'm like, "Yes." But the chatbot per se, when I'm on the computer, I don't know if that's if that's somebody or a really good decision tree. And hats off to Apple for building something that makes me wonder about that. But does it approximate a relationship, or it just helps you get through a moment? It's turned out. Um, I, I don't know. That's a good. That's a really. Thank you for recentering the question, David. I think that what it does is it it, it builds affinity for a brand. So I think it maybe it's an employer branding tool or, 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 or branding tool that somebody is there and somebody is listening. Um, I, 
I don't think that I don't I mean like I'm the recruiter who thinks you gotta get on the phone that you can't build a relationship over email, right? So I'm gonna say chat GPT is or 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 a large language model recruiter is yet does not yet exist. So as we, you know, this has been awesome. Look how quickly the time flies, right? Um, oh, this has been great. Yeah. As you think about, you know, you wrote a book that kind of initiated this to get us get us together to talk about this. Um, you had an audience in mind. You had a purpose. What, what do you hope? Yeah, how do you, how do you hope to change the world with this? What's your, you know, if you leave the planet tomorrow, what would you feel good about because of the book? Okay. Um, so if I was to leave the planet tomorrow and feel good about this and what I've done is that, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want anybody to think that I just worship at the church of Shally Steckroll, right? But Shally wrote a book that was called The Sourcing Method, and I think it fundamentally changes the way people approach search. If you look at that book and you read it, you're borrowing his brain. I love recruiting. I love recruiters. I know that there is a, lar a very low threshold to be a recruiter. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that think recruiters suck at what we do. We care about people. Sometimes we we get we're our own worst critics, and we get in our, the way of each other the most. But David, what I want people to and what I want people to take from the book is that they are intelligent enough, they are smart enough, they are driven enough, they have enough curiosity, they have enough resilience and enough empathy to be a great technical recruiter. And if I do that, I can jet out of here in a minute. And they don't have to be technical backgrounded to be able to do that, right? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had I've had a lot of people who've come to me and said, and, and said, "Hey, Brian, like you, you, like chapter nine of the book um, is about strategy sessions. You don't have to be a technical recruiter for this. Um, this is this is um, questions like, how do you how do you conduct a debrief for a candidate with a hiring manager, right?" Um, so if you're a recruiter that's looking to conduct a debrief with a hiring manager after interviewing the candidate, right, um, it doesn't matter if the candidate was a salesperson or not. You still can ask questions like, what was your overall impression of the candidate? Did they come across as professional? Were they enthusiastic? Do you think they were a good fit for the team? You can ask questions about problem solving and critical thinking skills. Um, you know, were there any instances in the interview where the candidate showcased their problem-solving abilities? Did they show where they went above and beyond, where they thought out of the box? It, like I said, it doesn't matter if you're an engineer. It doesn't matter if you're a marketer. It, it doesn't matter. You could ask that question about a candidate that you were recruiting out of nursing school. Did this person act patient first? Were they transactional? What was their bedside manner like? You can ask all these types of questions to quantify whether or not that candidate measured up to who you're looking to hire. Chapter nine of the book, I don't think I don't think it applies purely to technical recruiting. I think it applies to any type of recruiting. Yeah. I love your phrase, borrowing the author's brain, right? And then, so I, I yeah, this has been awesome for us being able to share and learn crack into your brain today as well so really thank you yeah, yeah. okay so we're, we're kind of coming to the end here and i have a couple of things i want to make sure we cover first off oh my where god do I, we, we where got, do we i get your more, book we got more we got more questions Great. where, where do we get your book uh where do we get the book amazon.com 
Okay, that's an easy one. And we'll put a link down in the episode notes, so uh, Thanks, it should guys. be right, right under that. the video here. Um, okay, we always ask our guests two questions, and, and uh, we sometimes get surprised on this one. But uh, So what, what business book, other than your own, has <laughs> really had an impact on you? Okay, so um, business book, I would say, is uh, it's Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. It was published in 20, uh, 2016. I have it on my bedstand. I have it in the bookshelf over here. Um, I have a copy of it that has been annihilated, that has been noted up and highlighted. Um, don't take the easy way out. Do the hard things, do the hard work, put in the work. That's the premise of the book. It's about modern stoicism. It's a great read. Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. Okay, and then last question, favorite movie. David, you're gonna you're gonna let him ask me what my favorite Empire Strikes Back. Yes. The three of us could all nerd out on the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, it, it, right? Empire Strikes Back, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think with that, uh, it's it's an absolutely great having you. Uh, one pivot to first, Brian and David. It's always a pleasure. Uh, thanks so much and have a great uh, have a great week. Awesome. Rock on, people. Thank you for making me a part of this.